All right, if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to close out the chapter here today, Matthew 17, with a very strange story. As you look at it, you're going to think this is a, this is a really weird story that we're going to look at today that involves a, a fish, it involves a coin, it involves paying taxes. I mean, these are three weird things that really don't go together, a combination of fishes and uh, fish and coins and taxes i mean how is that going to work out and as you read it you're going to say I, I really don't understand why he's got this here but i think that jesus takes this strange story with this weird combination of a fish a coin and taxes and he turns it into a lesson that every single one of us need to learn today so that's how jesus is he's a master teacher he can take these three weird things a fish a coin and taxes and he can turn it into one of the the greatest lessons that anybody can ever learn and I think this is going to teach us this morning a how to live the Christian life. And we all need to learn that. My goal here today is very simple in these four verses is I want to help you, everybody in here, I want to help you to live the Christian life. And I think that's a great goal. I think we all should want to be better Christians. So today in these four verses, let's learn how to live the Christian life. Let's stand together and we'll, we'll read these four verses and, and look at this weird combination of a fish, a coin, and and paying taxes. Uh, so I'm going to read these four verses to us, and, and we'll see today uh, how to live the Christian life. Starting in verse 24 of Matthew 17, the Word of God says, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received the tribute money, which is taxes, came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? Does Jesus not pay taxes? And he saith, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, and saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom, or tribute, of their own children, or of strangers? And Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. And Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. But notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast in a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take, and give unto, unto them for me, and for thee. And you read these four verses like I did when I first started my study this week, and I thought, what is that all about? But you're going to see that this teaches us a great lesson today that all of us need to hear on how to live the Christian life. So let's pray together, and we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you for these obscure passages. I mean, there's passages that we have studied in the past few weeks that are outstanding passages that we all know, that we all love, that we could preach every week, and everyone would enjoy them and love them. And then we come to passages like this. We're just kind of out of the way. We don't understand why it's there. And God, in those times, I think we need your spirit to open our eyes and, and to, to clear our minds to understand these things in, in all, all the passages, but especially in ones like these. We need your help. We need your aid. We need your spirit to come and enlighten us and illuminate us in our minds. So God, use me, help me as I've studied this to, to present these truths in a way that is understandable, that we all can, can uh, grasp here today. And God, help us all today to learn a little bit better how to live the Christian life. We need this today. In a world full of people who's not living it, we need to stand out as lights to, to the world, as people who are living, truly living the Christian life. So help us here today. We need it. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There was a book written in 1897, or 1896. It was called In His Steps. I don't know if anybody's ever read it or heard of it. You should have. It's one of the most popular uh, Christian books that has ever been written. I think it's some, somewhere around 50 million copies have been, have been bought over that time period. It's, it's one of the most popular, one of the most read books in all of, not just Christian books, but in all books. It's, again, it's called In His Steps. And the main point of this book, In His Steps, is a pastor gets up in front of his congregation one Sunday and he stands up about like I'm standing up here in front of you today and he looks at his congregation and he challenges them. He gives them a challenge like I would give you a challenge here today. Here's what I want you to do in the days and weeks ahead. And it wasn't just days and weeks. He said, I want you to do this for, for a whole year, a challenge for a whole year. And here's what the challenge was. Don't do anything in your life without asking what would Jesus do first. That was his challenge, and you guys have all heard of that now, the, the what would Jesus do, WWJD, you've, had, you've seen the bracelets and the t-shirts, all that comes from this book that was written in 1896, and the story of that pastor standing up and looking around the room and saying, don't do anything unless you ask what would Jesus do first. And the, and the point of this is, it's supposed to help us live the Christian life. 
It's not what we will do. We don't want to do what we want to do. We want to do what Jesus would do. We want to, the book is is titled, In His Steps. We want to walk as He would walk. We want to put our footprint in, in His footprint and walk the way He would walk. We want to follow His example. We want to do what He would do. And there's a problem with what would Jesus do. It is that we don't always know what Jesus would do. So we spend a lot of times guessing. What would Jesus do here? I don't know, so I'll just do what I want to do. So we don't always know what Jesus would do. But here in this passage today, we get to find out exactly what Jesus would do. As we have these people coming to Peter, and they're going to come to Jesus, and they're going to ask that question at the end of verse 24. I don't know if you noticed that, but I wrote it in the, uh, in my Bible, WWJD. They looked at him and they said, would Jesus pay taxes? What would Jesus do? You, you see that there? That's a great question. What would Jesus do? End of verse 24. Does your master pay taxes? They're asking that question. And in this sermon today, we get to see the answer. And the answer is, and I want you to get this, it's a, it's a good question, would Jesus pay taxes? But the answer isn't so much a yes or a no, as it is Jesus' example of how he does everything. And this is what I want you to get today, how to live the Christian life. His example, what would Jesus do? And the answer is almost always Jesus would deny himself. That's the answer. If you want to, if you're ever wondering what would Jesus do and you don't have a clear scripture telling you what he would do, you're always going to go back to, I bet he would deny himself. I bet Jesus wouldn't be selfish. I bet Jesus would give up his own rights. I bet Jesus wouldn't do what, what he wants to do. He would do what's, what's right, what's self-denying. And that's what we want to look at today. It's almost always the same. Jesus was always denying himself. Jesus was never selfish. So in this passage today, we don't want to answer so much, will Jesus pay taxes? We want to see how Jesus responded to this question. And it was by denying himself. This is his example. And, and just to give you kind of a context of where we are so we can jump into the passage, Jesus has gone from his public ministry where he's going to be teaching thousands of people at a time to now he's going to a private ministry where it's just him and his disciples and he's going to go away. He says there in verse 22 and 23, I'm going to be betrayed to the hands of men. They're going to kill me. On the third day I'll rise again. I'm going away. That's the reminder. And here's how you guys need to live while I'm gone. He's teaching them how to live the Christian life. And we live the Christian life by denying ourselves. That's the main point of the of what Jesus is teaching there. Matthew 16, 24, he said, anybody who wants to follow after me, they're going to have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's how we live the Christian life. If you're ever going to ask that question, what would Jesus do? The answer is almost always deny himself. So that's what we're going to look at today. It's an example of self-denial. It's an example of Jesus doing what he didn't have to do. It's even an example of Jesus doing what he didn't want to do. And what, a, what, what better example of doing something you don't want to do than paying taxes? Nobody wants to pay taxes. So that's our, our, what we're going to look at today. Jesus teaches us very practically how to live the Christian life. So let's look at it today. I've got three points I want to give you in these four verses, and we're just going to walk our way through it. And I hope this is helpful to you today, that we'll learn how to live the Christian life. So number one, I want to show you the examination of Jesus. As they come to, and that's what they're going to come to do, they're going to come to question Jesus and to examine Jesus. They're going to come to, to try to catch Jesus in some kind, of, some kind of sin or disobedience or not fulfilling the law. They're going to examine Him. And we need to know that right now that there's always going to be eyes on us as we live the Christian life. There's eyes on Jesus. There's eyes on Peter. They're watching how they live, even so much as are they going to pay taxes. Look where they're with me. They're examining him in verse 24. It says, and when they were come to Capernaum, this is Peter's hometown. You guys know this. This is Jesus' home base, his headquarters. He spent more time here than anywhere in his ministry, three years of ministry. He lived there. He taught there. He done more miracles in Capernaum than anywhere else. So they're coming back to their, their home base. They're going to stay at Peter's house. And as they get there, they run into these I guess you could call them tax collectors. As they come uh, maybe knocking on Peter's door. 
as they come, and then they're not Roman tax collectors, they are Jewish tax collectors. I know you don't know the difference. The Roman tax collectors is you'd be paying to the government. The Jewish tax collectors, you'd be paying to the temple, to the priesthood. There's a difference between paying your taxes to the government, which we all have to do. Me and Brandon are trying to figure out how much taxes we pay earlier today. And he was like, at 10, at 15, at 20, at, we was adding it all up. And we were, he's like, let's just stop. We're paying too much taxes. There's a difference between paying the government taxes and paying your tithes to the church. These guys come knocking on the door and they're not asking for governmental taxes. They're asking for a temple tax is what they're after. So these are Jewish men coming knocking. They're asking. I can imagine even that they are like uh, those people that stand outside Walmart at Christmas and they got their little bucket there and they're ringing the bell. And that's what they're doing. They're taking up donations. This is not you have to pay this. This is a voluntary, will you help us take care of the temple? And taking care of the temple was an expensive thing. They had to have, I can imagine, it's expensive to keep a church going. Can you imagine keeping a temple going? I told somebody the other day, we've saved so much money by not having mints at the front of the church. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many mints we went through before. And coffee. That's just me drinking the coffee. But can you imagine trying to upkeep a temple with sacrifices, animals that you had to bring in every single day and all the stuff that they had to do? They needed money to keep the temple going. So you had these guys coming and they'd be ringing their bells. They'd be knocking on the door. Will you pay us taxes? Will you give us money for the temple? That's what they're coming to do there. Every adult male would pay this tax. And the, and the, the going rate of paying it was two days wages. Two days worth of work. So they ask, and here's the question in verse 24. Does your master pay tribute? And and notice that they frame it in a negative way. Jesus does pay taxes, doesn't he? Jesus isn't above paying this tax. All the other houses that we knocked on, as we went there, they paid it. They gave their money. We knocked at the neighbor's door. They gave it. We knocked at the other neighbor's door. They gave it. Jesus is going to be just like them, isn't he? He cares about the temple too, doesn't he? He's a loyal Jew too, isn't he? He follows our rules too, doesn't he? They're framing this in a way to catch Jesus. Is he going to be a good Jew? It's a setup. That's what this is in verse 24. They're trying to catch Jesus. They're examining his life. They're scrutinizing him. Everywhere he goes, him and the disciples are under the microscope of the world. They're doing everything they can to catch Jesus in some kind of sin. Some kind of breaking the law. They're watching Him. They're testing Him. They're examining Him. The world is watching Jesus. And I want to tell you that today. And as I try to help you and help me live the Christian life, I want you to know that as Christians, if you are an open, professing Christian that isn't ashamed to let the world know that you follow Jesus, then when you do that, you step out, You become under the microscope of the world. The world begins to watch you. And they're not watching you to try to follow you. They're watching you to try to catch you in some kind of sin. They're trying to catch you fall in some way. They're trying to catch you do something that you shouldn't do. Say something that you shouldn't say. Be somewhere that you shouldn't be. They're always watching us. And there are people that watch you and they're not watching again to, to follow you, to, to have you as some kind of example to them. They're watching you. They're watching us. They're watching our children. They're watching our marriages. They're watching. You better believe they're watching our services. Lost people watch West End sermons. But they're not watching to learn. They're not watching because they're interested. They're watching to catch us doing something that they can they can point a finger at us over. That's what they're after. And get this, there are even people in churches, Christians that will watch other Christians and want them to fail. There's nothing more demonic than wanting to see your brother or sister in Christ fail. There are people who gloat. And you've seen all kinds of pastors fall. You've seen presidents of seminaries fall. You see Christians fall. You see them trip up. You see them fall into sin. And there are Christians that come up and they're like, ha, 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 told you so. So glad to see it. That is of the devil. 
We don't want to see anybody fall. It's so easy to want people to fall. As Christians, we want to help each other to live the Christian life. To encourage each other. To lift each other up. We don't put people under the microscope. That's what the world does. They're watching Jesus every move that He makes. Trying to catch Him in something. On the Sabbath, He went and picked corn. Gotcha! He said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Temple tax. And He's going to say this here today. Do you pay to support the temple? I'm the Lord of the temple. They're watching Him. And you need to know that people are watching you. And when we fail, and when we fall, it's a bad look on who we live for. We need to be very careful before the watching eyes of the world how we live our Christian lives. There are some Christians, and I'm spending too much time on this, who think it doesn't matter how you live the Christian life. I'm saved. I've got my ticket punched. I'm going to heaven, and I can live however I want to live here. That's not biblical. There's a way we are to live our Christian lives. We live our Christian lives before the watching eye of our Father and before the watching, scrutinizing, examining eyes of the world. And we need to be very careful how we live. To watch what happens here. They look at him and they say, what will Jesus do? That's the question. I never saw what would Jesus do in the Bible before until this, this verse. What will Jesus do? That's my question to you. They come and they ask, will Jesus pay the tax? Will Jesus give the money? Will Jesus uh, give us the, 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 the offering to help us keep the temple up? So what will he do? And his options are, you say, well, what's, what's the options here? If he says no, Jesus won't pay it, it's disrespectful to the Jews and to the temple. If he says yes, Jesus is just a normal, everyday Jew just like everybody else. So he's, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. This is Neither option is good. If it's a no, he turns off everybody that's listening to him because it's disrespectful. If he says yes, he's admitting that he's just a normal, everyday guy. So this is a, a tough question. What would Jesus do? Is it a no? Is it a yes? Is it a no? Is it a yes? What's he going to do? Watch this. Peter answers for him. <laughs> Peter always wanted to speak up. Foot in his mouth. You know, that's how Peter is. Look what Peter says in verse 25. I think it's noble of Peter. I think he's defending Jesus. I, I think it's he's not going to let anybody say anything negative about his Savior. So they're saying, he doesn't pay taxes, does he? And Peter says, yes, he does. Jesus always pays his taxes. <laughs> Gee, yeah, yeah let, me, let me go get him. He'll pay it. Yeah, he says yes here without even asking Jesus. I think he's, again, defending him. But yeah, of course, Jesus pays taxes. Now, my question to you is, that, is that the right answer? Is that what Jesus will say? Is that what Jesus will do? So let's look at point number two and find out. I like this. We go from the examination of Jesus to the explanation of Jesus. He's going to explain what he's going to do. And Jesus is a master at these things. They try to get him stuck. And he always finds a way to get out of it. Just brilliant wisdom of God. Watch what he says. I love this part right here. He said, Peter says yes in verse 25. And when he was coming to the house, so Peter just goes and probably going to try to get some money from Jesus, walking into the house, and I'm sure Jesus, uh, Peter doesn't, doesn't know what he's about to run into. And it says, and Jesus prevented him. You say, what does it mean to prevent him? Jesus anticipated him. That's what the word prevented means. Jesus meets him at the door. Jesus speaks first. Jesus beats him to the punch. Peter comes walking up, and I, in, my, in my mind, I imagine him walking up to his door, and as he opens the door, there stands Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, let's talk. And he looks at him and he says, and this is, Jesus knows what's going on. Amen. Jesus knows the conversation that's going outside the door. These people are outside the door. Jesus is inside the door. Jesus isn't overhearing. He's not eavesdropping. Jesus has the omniscient, all-knowing mind of God. That He knows the conversation before He's even told the conversation. Jesus knows like He did with Nicodemus. He knows the question that Nicodemus had before Nicodemus even asked it. Jesus knows what's in our minds. Jesus knows what's in our heart. Jesus knows what's the words underneath our breath. 
My kids will do that sometimes as they're walking through the house. You'll tell them to do something, and they turn around and walk away, and you hear <laughs> What would you say? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Whoa, 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 what was that? What was that? Are, are, you, are you complaining about something? Because I can give you something else to do. It happens in church, too. What was that? What, what, you know, what, what, you got two cents you want to throw in? Most people's two cents ain't worth two cents. That was mean. <laughs> I have to do something to get you guys awake this morning. Jesus knows. I may not be able to hear what people mumbling under their breath. I may not be able to hear what my kids are mumbling underneath their breath. But God knows everything that's going on in our minds and in the depths of our hearts. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we say them. He knows our feelings before we even have them. That's, that's the, the all-knowing mind of God. And Jesus shows here that, that He is the all-knowing Son of God. He knows what's going on outside before Peter even comes inside. He knows. And Jesus looks at him, and I've got to move on from that, and He looks at him and says, what's your two cents on this, Simon? Using His old name. Not the Peter name. You guys are with me in, in chapter 16. He says, now I'm going to call you Peter. You're not Simon Barjona anymore. And then when Simon starts asking, acting like his old self, Jesus calls him by the name of his old self. What's your two cents, Simon? Peter probably felt about that big. And he asks him here, well, what's this question? What do you think? What's your opinion, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Do they take them of their children or of strangers? You say, what's this question? He says, the kings of the earth. Who do the kings of the earth take taxes from? And when he says kings of the earth, he's talking about the supreme rulers of the land, the pharaohs of the day, the emperors of the day, the Caesars of the day. Who do they take taxes from? Who does the government take taxes from? That's what he's asking. Who's at the top of the pyramid that looks down and says, I'm going to take taxes from you that are down here? Because those that are up there don't tax themselves. They tax those that are down here. That's how it works. Pharaoh taxed people down here. Pharaoh never taxed his own family. Caesar up here would never look at his son and say, you owe me a tax. He only taxes the subjects that are down at the bottom of the pyramid. So he says here, who do the kings of the world tax? Do they tax citizens or their family? Do they tax sons or do they tax strangers? Their subjects. Who pays taxes? He's getting Peter thinking. Who pays taxes? And Peter answers, I'm sure Peter, Jesus has caught Peter in all kinds of issues. I'm sure that Peter's just like, okay, I gotta be real careful how I answer this. But the answer's obvious. Sons don't pay taxes to their fathers. The family of the king doesn't pay taxes to the king. Only the subjects pay taxes to the king. I'll say it like this. My dad doesn't charge me when I go to his house and make a cup of coffee. He wouldn't do, dare do that. And I drink a lot of coffee at my dad's house. Yeah, yeah. and if, what if I went down into the kitchen, got me a cup of coffee, and walked back into the room, and dad looked at me and said, how much you pay at Starbucks? Three bucks? You owe me three bucks. <laughs> He's not going to charge his son for a cup of coffee, is he? There's no way he would do that. He's not going to ask me to pay for coffee. I'm his son. He gives me coffee for free. That's the reason I love going over there. All the coffee that I can drink. Just one after the other after the other. So that, that's the whole point here. Children are free or exempt from paying taxes to their father. I know you guys think, what's, what's all this about? The Queen of England's family, you guys know I love the Queen. Her family never paid taxes in England until the 1990s. They paid taxes to her. Her family didn't pay taxes to her. So children were never obligated to pay taxes. The son never paid taxes to his father. That's the whole point of what he's saying here. Now watch this. And, and I think this is a, a, a great way how Jesus is arguing this. Because he says in verse 26, Peter says, 
of strangers. And Jesus says, then the children of the king are free. The sons of the father don't have to pay taxes. He said, Josh, I don't see where you're going here. Watch this. God the Father is the supreme ruler of the whole world. The temple is, get this, the house of God. God's house. The place where they went to worship God. The place where God's presence was in the Holy of Holies. The place where uh, they would go and bring sacrifices. That temple was made there for people to go and to worship God the Father. He is the supreme ruler. He's at the top of the pyramid and everybody else is down here. We pay tithes to God. That's what it's saying here. We're at the bottom and God the Father is at the top. He is the the Lord over the house. He's the God of of the temple. It's God's house. And now Jesus is saying here that He is the unique Son of God. And that as Peter said in Matthew 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. As the Father said in Matthew 17, on top of the mountain, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is the divine, eternal, uncreated Son of God who has a unique relationship to the Father. So the conclusion of this is, Jesus doesn't have to pay that tax because He has a special, unique relationship to the Father. That's the whole argument here. He wants Peter to get it. Peter just said, yes, he's going to pay taxes. Jesus brings him in and says, I don't have to pay that tax. I don't have to do it. That's my father. That's, Jesus even said, the temple will, will fall down and in three days I'll raise it again because he's the place you go and worship God. So Jesus is free. Jesus is tax exempt. I like that phrase. Jesus is Lord over the temple. He's not subject to any tax. The Son of God doesn't pay taxes in the Father's temple. That's the argument. You said, Josh, that's not helping me live the Christian life at all. Because if we, but if we stop here, then Jesus could turn to the Jews and say, forget it. I'm not paying that tax. I don't have to. That's silly. That's made up. Even if I paid it, that's a den of thieves anyway. You guys are going to take whatever I give. Jesus could say this to them. I'm going to hold on to my rights and my privileges. I'm a privileged son of the Father. And I don't have to pay anything to you guys. And he could be mean about it. I mean, they're coming and then who knows what they're going to do. He turned over the money changers table in the temple because they were misusing the funds. He called them a den of thieves, wicked false teachers. They're going to do evil things with all the money that they're given. Jesus could have been very harsh and he had every right to look at those Jews standing at the door, maybe with a bell and maybe with a bucket, and say, get out of here. I don't have to pay you a dime. Jesus had every right to do that. And be mean about it if he wanted to. I don't have to do that. Get this. He had every right to refuse to pay the tax. But that's what Jesus could do. You see that? There's a difference between what Jesus could do and what Jesus did do. He had every right and privilege to say no. But what will he do? We've went from, and maybe I should have made my points this, what would your master do? What would Jesus do? What could he do? What will he do? That's three better points than what I've already given you. What, will, what would Jesus do? What could he do? And now we want to look at the third point. What will he do? Number three, what will he do? This is the example of Jesus that we need to follow Because Jesus decides here, watch what he says, and I think you guys will love this. Verse 26, he says the children are free. I don't have to pay that tax. That's what verse 26 says, I don't have to do that. My rights, my privileges, I don't have to do that. I'm free. And we've been set free too as Christians. There are certain things we don't have to do. So he doesn't have to do it. He doesn't need to do it. 
But he says, notwithstanding, I'm going to do it anyway. Why on earth would he do it anyway? He doesn't have to do it. It's not an obligation to do it. Most of us, in what we would be in our culture right now, the most rights-demanding generation in the history of the world, most of us would stand up and we'd say, forget it. I don't have to do that. But Jesus says, I don't have to do it. I'm free from this. But notwithstanding, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to say no to me. I don't have to. I don't, I, mean, I don't know his wants. I don't know his desires. But I bet he didn't even want to. Because most people don't want to pay taxes. Have you watched the, the, the politicians right now? That's all they talk about is taxes. They want our vote. We won't tax you anymore. <laughs> Every one of them says that. We're going to lower your taxes. We're going to lower your taxes. We're going to lower your taxes. And I've been lowering taxes for 40 years. We've been lowering taxes forever. We're low, low, low. We keep getting higher and higher and higher. Nobody wants to pay taxes. So I would assume Jesus didn't have to. Jesus didn't want to. Nobody wants to pay taxes. But he says, I'm going to do it Anyway, he's going to pay it. He's going to do something he doesn't have to do. He's going to do something he doesn't want to do. He's going to deny himself. And why does he do that? Why does he deny himself and do it anyway? Notwithstanding. Watch this. And he gives the reason. Here's why. Lest we should offend them. I don't want to. And boy, does Christianity need to hear this. I'm trying to teach you how to live a Christian life. There's a lot of things we don't have to do. But maybe we ought to do them anyway. There's a lot of things, get this, that we can do. We're free in Christ. But we might not want to do them. So that we don't offend somebody. You say, what does that word offend mean? He doesn't want to trip anybody up. Jesus knows that if he says no to them, that those Jews that are standing there at the door, maybe with their bell and maybe with their bucket, and they're saying, here, give us money. Jesus knows if he looks at them and says, no, I don't have to do that, that immediately their ears are going to be turned off and they will never listen to his gospel message. He cares more about saving souls than he does about saving money. He wasn't focused on his self. He wasn't focused on what was on his rights. And again, we live in this rights crazy world where we're all about what's fair, what's right, what's just. We're more likely in this generation to demand our rights than any other generation in the history of the world. And it's in the churches. We fight for our rights. We lobby for our rights. We rebel for our rights. We take fits for our rights. I've seen people just... Treat waitresses terrible in restaurants, Christians, because she didn't get an order right. When you do that, it's my right. I'm paying for that food. She better get it right. <laughs> right? I mean, that's how we, have you ever seen that? They say, and I'm trying to help you live the Christian life. They say, and I've talked to waitresses who say Sunday after church is the most mean and hateful customers that they have all week long. I know not right now because nobody's eating out, but that's how it's always been. So mean, so hateful, so just, just uh, berating the waitresses. They don't want to see church people come because they're going to be so mean. Get this, get this. And they just sit there and say, no, no, you've done this wrong and this wrong. And when, they, when the dinner's over, they leave a track on the table. <laughs> After the way you've treated them, they've turned their ears off to everything you're going to try to say as a Christian now. You say, well, I have my right. She got my meatloaf wrong. <laughs> I'm not paying for that. You care more about saving money and getting your meatloaf right than you do about someone's soul. I can give you another one if you want. I probably shouldn't. But how many Christians you've seen, this may step on my toes. At a ball game, stand up and holler at a ref. I've seen it. I've seen preachers do it. I've seen, I've seen Christian coaches do it. You know? 
All this language and, and, and things coming out of their mouths. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, that was a foul. I get it, you know. I get it. That's my right. That's my kid. <laughs> do you care more about a game than you do about the souls of the people who are watching you? But it's my right. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. That's what called denying yourself is. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. There are no bill of rights in Christianity. There's a bill of self-denial. It's not about me. We care more about, I'll say this, the gospel will offend people. When we tell them there's a God who's going to judge them for their sin and punish them in hell for all eternity because they've rebelled against him, that's offensive. And we let it be offensive. But our message Ought to be offensive. But the way we talk to people should never be offensive. And the way we treat people should never be offensive. They're already going to be upset at us because we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man gets to God but by Him. That's offensive. You've hurt my feelings. But the way I say it should never be in an offensive way. The way I live should never be offensive. The way I act should never be offensive. The way I talk to people should never be offensive. We ought to be very careful. Jesus is doing this very careful on how he is viewed by lost people. We ought to be honest. We ought to be bold. We ought to be convinced. We ought to be passionate. We ought to be dogmatic about what we believe. But we should never be offensive. We don't want people to turn us off before we even get to the gospel message. Amen. And as a church, that's, that, as a preacher, I want to be that way. As a church, we ought to be that way. We should never be so offensive in how we live and how we act and what we do and the way we talk and the attitude we have that we turn people off before we even get to the gospel. And I'm afraid that that's what we've become. The world is offensive. The world wants their rights and their, they, they want their way. The church ought to be the first to say, I don't have to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Amen. That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus cares more about souls than he does his rights. He's focused on others. I can give you more examples of this. You want more? I mean, I don't have time to get into it. I can't even see the clock. The battery's dead, so I don't know what time it is. But let me just give you a couple more In Galatians, Paul jumped all over the church at Galatia because they thought that some kind of works could get them into heaven. He jumped all over them. He was so mad at them. They were were thinking that circumcision saved them. And then in Acts 15, they talked about it and says, no, that's that's not what saves you. Acts 16, Paul takes Timothy and gets him circumcised. Why? What? I mean, Timothy's sitting there saying, what are you doing? You know, Don't, don't, don't. I thought we said no. In Acts 16, what's he doing? Why is Paul doing that? So as not to offend the Jews. I'm not going to, this is not a hill I need to die on. Jesus is saying here, taxes isn't something I have to die on. And he says with with Timothy, I know Timothy said, this is a hill I want to die on. Circumcision isn't a hill here that I'm going to die on. Timothy, you know that doesn't save you. It's no big deal. I can give you more. Paul was willing to, he said that a pastor is worth his wages. Pay a pastor. But then he refused to take pay so that it's not to offend people to think he was doing it just for the money. I, I can take pay. That's my right. But I won't do it because I don't want people to think that I'm in it for the money. I'll give you another one. 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 9. He said that you talking about eating food that had been offered to idols. And Paul said, I can eat all the idle food I want to eat. <laughs> I can eat all the meat I want to. Idols aren't even a real thing. And they're sitting there worried about all this, this meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Idols are fake. I can take that and I can eat all the meat that I want to eat. But if it's going to offend one person, he says, I'll never eat meat again. Oh my! He's denying himself. He denied himself pay. He denied himself giving up meat and becoming a vegetarian just so he might win one person. We don't as Christians live for our rights. We live for Christ. Jesus was willing to pay a tax 
if it meant reaching the Jews. So now Jesus has to pay the money. And get this. Let me see what time it is. You know what time it is? It's preaching time. <laughs> so now Jesus has to pay the tax. And Jesus doesn't have the money to pay the tax. Jesus doesn't have two days worth of wages in his pocket. Jesus doesn't have a debit card to swipe. Jesus doesn't have a little bit of money tucked away somewhere in Peter's house. Jesus doesn't have any money. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't have a dime to his name, literally. So he says in verse 27, Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. That word offend is, is scandalizio. Scandalize. He tells Peter, go fish. <laughs> go to the sea. Cast in a hook. I like that too. He, the only place in the New Testament where he says fish with a hook. Every other time, they're fishing with nets. Go with a hook. Why do you want to send him to fish with a hook? Go, go fish. Go to, the, go to the river bank. I like that too. Where does the fish go to get money? The river bank. <laughs> Took you a second, but you got it. <laughs> I got the kids' attention. Go to the river. Go to the, go to the, go to the sea. And I want you to take a hook. And he says a hook, not a net. And I want you to throw that hook in, in the water. And you're going to pull up a fish. And I, that's the reason he wants a hook. Because if he brought up a fish, if he brought up a net, he would bring up a bunch of fish. And he could go from fish to fish looking for a coin in the mouth of a fish. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's one fish in that water. And that one fish has a coin in its mouth. I want you to take your one hook just to know that, that I am all powerful over the seas and over the animals. You're going to go, you're going to take your one hook, you're going to throw it in one time, and the first fish that you get is going to have enough money in it to pay for me and to pay for you. Go and do it. Now this is a miracle here. This is an all-knowing, all-powerful miracle here. It's remarkable. And it's not just in that moment that's remarkable. Think about what had to happen. I always thought growing up, and maybe you guys still think this, when I read this story, I thought that God in heaven, or maybe Jesus in that moment, just in his all-power, omnipotent person that he is, said, coin in mouth. And there was a coin in the mouth of a fish. But as I was studying this this week, I don't think that's the case. I love how Jesus is a God of the details. And how he doesn't just, boom, coin in the mouth. There was somebody, maybe days, maybe weeks ahead, who was walking around the sea, maybe on the beach. Maybe had that coin flipping it. Just walking and whistling. And all of a sudden he flipped it too high and it went in the water. And he lost his two days worth of wages in that one coin. And then all of a sudden, as that coin starts floating down to the bottom God is a God of the details days maybe weeks ahead guy flipping a coin so I get into these stories little fish I think that fish is going to be in heaven someday <laughs> I think he's a free Gil Baptist <laughs> I, I shouldn't have said that that fish just, just swimming around and grabs that coin in its mouth and doesn't swallow it, but keeps, its, keeps, its, keeps the coin in its mouth for how long? And then Peter, exactly at the point when he should, takes that hook and throws it in the water. And that fish, and it doesn't say anything about any bait on that hook either. And they say even today that at this sea, nobody fishes with a hook. You, they, they, I've read it. They say in this sea, you can't catch a fish with a hook. No matter what bait you put on it. Even today in that sea, you only fish with a net. Because the, the water is so full of, of life that there's no way that they're going to reach out and grab a hook. But God's in control of this. I'm going to run out of time. I, this story just fascinates me. 
So Peter throws the hook in, and that fish, with just the right amount of money in its mouth, without swallowing it. I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong, that Peter filleted that fish after it was over. To get it out of its stomach, he got it out of its mouth. Look at it, open its mouth. It's not in its stomach. This is like the Jonah story, but with, not with a big fish and a man, but with a little fish and a coin. God uses, is in control of all fish in the sea. I told you, this is a good story. The, coin, the, 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 the hook goes in, the fish comes out, one fish, one throw. He didn't, he didn't pull out a bunch of fish and say, ah, no coin there, ah, ah, no coin there, ah, no coin there. First one out of the water, he opens its mouth, and on your coloring sheets for your kids, you see that. He opens its mouth, and there's a big shiny coin. Oh, the power of God. Oh, the wisdom of God and the, the provision of God. I think, there's a, I think there's a message here for Peter that if I'm doing the work of God, I'm going to have the provision of God. So he opens it up and there is the God of the details working everything out. Exactly as Johnny said, he does exactly what he says, how he says he's going to do it. I think you guys can disagree with me on this, but I think that's exactly how God rules our lives. There's not a forcing of the matter. There's not a coin in fish. <laughs> he could do that. He could snap a finger and there'd be a coin in the, and we'd all be going fishing. Pay my taxes, you know. <laughs> he could do that. But I think, I think that he's a God of the details. The things that happened weeks before coincide with what's going to happen a week later. And God has everything working out according to His perfect, omnipotent, sovereign will. If that fish just happened, you say, oh, it's a coincidence. <laughs> that's a, I don't want to say this, but that's, if you think that, that's dumb. There's no coincidences with God. That fish... That hook, exactly as it should. And you've seen that in your own lives. And you've seen that in this church. And you need to understand that that's how God is working out your life. He's a God of the intricate details. And understand this, if God, <laughs> this is so good, if God is a God of the intricate details here, then don't you dare think that anything in the world God is just haphazardly letting it happen. Amen. That what's going on in our nation in 2020 that God said, I never saw this coming. <laughs> I can't wait until 2021 to get this out of the way. That God is in heaven saying, oh no, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh no, a Supreme Court justice died. Now it's going to get, oh no, the election's coming up. Oh no, a coronavirus. Oh no, riots and protests. Oh no, oh the church is getting shut down. Oh no, the government is trying to keep us from having church. Oh no, what am I going to do? God, in some sovereign, magnificent wisdom, is working even the tragedies of America today out for some ultimate plan in the future where we'll look back and say, oh my, at the brilliance of almighty God. We need to know that. You say, I didn't see this in this story. Oh, you got to dig here. God is showing Peter not just how to live the Christian life and how He will provide for him every step of the way. Get this. Churches struggling financially today need to understand this. You do God's work, you'll have God's provision. He's showing Peter that. Peter, when I'm gone, Acts chapter 2, you'll be on your own, buddy, but I will take care of you. I'll even give you a coin in a fish's mouth. I've never got a coin out of a fish's mouth, but God has provided every need I've ever had. And it's come from some weird places before where you didn't think it was going to come, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, look how that happened. I've told you this story. It's still preaching time. <laughs> I think I've told you this story. Me and Steph with two kids moved to Lynchburg to go to seminary and we didn't have a dime to our name. We both quit our jobs and we moved. People in Pound were saying, you'll be back in two weeks. You ain't going to make it. You'll run out of money. I thought, yeah, well, you're probably right, but we're going to try it anyway. God said, go, we go. 
We got to, well, to Lynchburg. We was getting ready to sign the, the papers, the lease papers on the apartment. I'm getting ready to sign my name on the dotted line for a year at like $850 a month. Steph looks at me and she says, you sure? <laughs> I looked at her and I said, I'm not sure. Boom. <laughs> Such a confidence builder, you know. I said, God will provide. I can give you story after story after story about how we never went without a bite to eat. Yeah, we used to go to Target just to look. But there was one month we, were, we weren't going to make it. Get this, get this. And I walk out to the mailbox at our apartment, open it up, and there's a check in the mail, $500, from a preacher in Clintwood. Tears come down my face. God, a week before, put it in the heart of a preacher in Clintwood to send a preacher in Lynchburg some money. And exactly when we needed, how we needed it, my hook went into that fish (laughs) mailbox and pulled out exactly what we needed when we needed it. And in that moment, I looked at Steph and I said, God will provide. And in that moment, I've always looked back to that. And I said, you know what? Even today, you struggle. You say, God provided then. He'll provide now. In this moment, I think Peter will always remember. Taxes, fish, coin. Taxes, fish, coin. God will provide. Acts 2, God will provide. Acts 15, God will provide. About to die, God will provide. And he always goes back to this. He's teaching him a lesson on how to live the Christian life. And watch this. I'm going to close here. At the end of this, open the mouth and you'll find a piece of money. The exact amount of money. They call it a stater. Take that and give it unto them. Take that money. Again, I don't know if they had a bale and a bucket, but put it in their bucket. And let that money be for, who does it say for? For me, me being Jesus. And also for Peter. He didn't have to do it for himself. But he did it anyway. He really didn't have to do it for Peter. But he did it anyway. He denied himself. He put others first, and he taught us one of the greatest lessons that you could ever learn on how to live a Christian life. You say, Josh, what can we get from this? I want to show you two, two applications, and I'll, I'll close. What can we get from this story? Number one, I want to show you what Jesus did. Number two, I want you to ask, what would Jesus do? Because I think that's the, before you ever ask, what would Jesus do? You must ask, what did Jesus do? And what did Jesus do? And I'm going to ask you to turn with me. Philippians chapter 2. I think you guys obviously will know this passage. Because this isn't just one story of Jesus' life. This is the attitude of Jesus' life. And he will say here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that this must become the attitude of our lives. This is how we ought to behave. This is how we ought to live. Watch what he says. I'll start in verse 1. I might read the whole chapter, who knows. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, his own rights, his own ways, his own opinions, his own privileges, what he wants. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you. Let this attitude attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
This is who he was. And how did he deny himself? Not just by paying a tax, but watch what he did. Who being in the form of God. You say, what does that mean? That he was fully and truly divine. But thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Thought it, but made himself of no reputation. He didn't hold on to his rights. He didn't hold on to his privileges. He didn't hold on to what he had in heaven. He didn't say, it's my right to stay in heaven. I don't have to go down there and die. I don't have to go down to the, to this dirty old earth and to these old sinners. I don't have to do that. But he willingly sacrificed himself for us. Look at this. But made himself of no reputation. Made himself nothing and took upon himself the form of a servant. The king became a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself even lower and became obedient unto death. And even lower, the death of the cross. He did what he didn't have to do in order to pay what he didn't know. And he didn't pay it for himself. He paid it for me and you. He acted selflessly, not selfishly. He did what he didn't have to do. He paid what he didn't know. And he did it all for us. It wasn't a coin. Peter would learn this in 1 Peter, I think, chapter 1, when he says, We were not bought with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he paid for us. Not a stater, a coin of a fish's mouth. But he shed his blood on Calvary so that our sins could be paid for. Not our tax payment, but our sin payment. That's what he did for us. And I want you to know today, if you're you're here today and you're lost, and I'm going to close, I want you to know that He paid it all. The price has been paid. And now the offering of salvation is offered to you. Can you imagine if Peter had taken that coin and put it back in the fish's mouth and threw it back into the water and said, I don't need that? That would be foolish, wouldn't it? But here we have in front of us today the free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ which is more valuable than any silver or gold that anybody could ever offer you, you'd be foolish to turn it down today. Your sins have been paid for. Turn to Jesus in faith and He will save you and forgive you and that sin debt will be wiped away. So that's what Jesus did for us. Now as Christians, we need to ask, I'm not going to challenge you to do it every day for a year. I'm going to challenge you to do it every day for the rest of your life. To ask yourselves, what would Jesus do? Every day, and the answer ought to be, he'd deny himself. Let me ask this, and I'm really going to close here. If we lived every day like Jesus did and denied ourselves, how would that change the world? How would that change our marriages? If in my marriage, me and Steph... If I began to prefer her and defer to her needs and her wants over my very own. And then she did the same for me. And that's how our marriage was. A constant self-denying, denying of myself that we were selfless and not selfish. Do you think our marriage would be better? I guarantee you it would. The problem in a lot of marriages is, no, I want it my way. 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 And then they go their separate ways so they can have it their own way. What if we just started denying ourselves and say, I don't need my own way. Let's do it your way. How much better would our workplaces be? (laughs) How much better would our homes be? How much better, I love this one, how much better would our church be? You know why a lot of churches split? I want it my way. No, I want it my way. I want the carpet blue. I want it red. I want it gray. I want it pink. No, nobody's ever said that. (laughs) I want a new pastor. I want a better pastor. I want the same pastor. I mean, just back and forth. 
I don't like how you preach that. I think you ought to preach this. It's back and forth. You guys have been in the business meetings. How about somebody standing up and saying, we ought to all be like Christ and on things that are non-essential, we ought to deny ourselves and put others before us. This is not a gospel issue. How much better would our churches be? Yeah. And there wouldn't be as many if we would just deny ourselves. How much better would our nation be? Isn't isn't that where we are in our politics right now? I want it my way. No, I want it my way. I mean, isn't that what we do? We're going to watch a debate in a few weeks, and I'm going to watch it with popcorn. I mean, this is going to be it's going to be a show. And Dad's going to give me a cup of coffee, and I'm going to, and I'm not going to pay a dime for it. He wants me to pay. I'm going to say, go fish out in the river. <laughs> but you know what they're going to be saying? My way. No, my way. No, my way. No, my way. You know what we ought to do in our nation? You bow your head. You bow your head. And let's all do it God's way. That's where we need to be. How much better would our nation be if we just, as Christians, deny ourselves? If his people, Christians, would walk as he walked, in his steps, doing what he would do and denying ourselves. I challenge you to live that today and hope that it's helpful to you in living the Christian life. And again, if there's anybody here who's an unbeliever, I urge you, beg you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be more valuable to you than anything in the world. That your sins would be wiped away. That you would get to escape hell, enter into heaven, and all your sins would be forgiven if you just put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us today. I, I love these little obscure passages like this. I, I find great value in them. Great meaning. Great depth. And I pray, God, that I've been able to get just a little bit of that across to the people here today as we've studied it. And that we would, by the power of your Spirit, take this passage, this word from you, and that we would apply it every single day, that we would be a people who deny ourselves, that we pick up our cross, and that's how we'd follow you. Help us to do that. And God, if there's anybody in here today who's an unbeliever, they've never truly put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they've never been born again, they've never had that life change from the inside out, I pray that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I've prayed it all week, God, and I'll pray it today, that your Spirit would blow through here like a mighty rushing wind, and that you would change hearts, that you would change lives, that it would be from the youngest in the church to the oldest in the church. And God, we need that. We need a fresh wind to blow through our church. We need a fresh wind to blow through our churches. God, help us, please, by the power of your Spirit, do a great work in our hearts and our lives here today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.